The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, tonight I'm going to go ahead and, and close out um, a mini-series, I guess you could say. I started um, two weeks ago, and that, that is on our liberty. And uh, we've, we've, we've considered some things. First thing we considered uh, was the price of our liberty, if you remember that, if you were here for that message. Uh, what, what was the price of our liberty, and why, why was this price Necessary. Well, of course, we all know what the price of our liberty was. What was the price of our liberty? Who was the price for our liberty? Jesus Christ, yes. Uh, the Savior was the cost, the price of our liberty. But why was that necessary? Why, why, did, why, why did we have to be redeemed? Well, we talked about three things. First, we talked about the price was necessary because of the depth of our depravity. And uh, we saw from Scripture that all men are depraved. And by depraved, I mean just flat out wicked. We're wicked in our hearts, in our minds, in our, in our thoughts, in our actions. Man, <laughs> inherently, is evil. And so because of the depth of the depravity of, of man's flesh, it was necessary that God himself come and make the sacrifice. Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And and Paul reminded us that there's no good in us. Uh, Now we may we may like to think there's good in us, and we may want to we may want to believe that we're good people, but in God's eyes, by God's standards, by God's expectations, there is none to do with good. No, not one. Uh, But not only did was the depth of our depravity the, the reason for the price of our liberty? But number two, we discussed the certainty of our condemnation, if you remember that. In Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And of all things that are certain is the fact that it is appointed unto men once to die, Hebrews tells us, and then after this, the judgment. All men are condemned. We're all condemned by our sin. And so there was a certainty of our condemnation. Uh, there wasn't a chance that some of us would slip through. None of us were going to, to be uh, redeemed because of the certainty. And then number three, we talked about the remedy for our redemption. And we read in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so the remedy for our redemption was the Messiah, was the Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, come in the form of man and live in, in, in clothed in human flesh, not in the nature of Christ, uh, not of the seed of man, but in the, in, in, the, uh, in the form of man and present to God the living sacrifice. So we saw that as being encompassing the price of our liberty. And then secondly, last Sunday evening, we looked at the purpose in our liberty. Uh, and we read from Romans 8.28, where we read, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, it's important to note here that all things work together for good by God's definition of good. 
Not necessarily by our definition of good. You understand that? Uh, what, we can, what God considers good, we may not consider good. Because it may not be pleasant to our flesh. It may not be pleasant to, to us personally. But God sees good differently than we do. So we must understand and, and trust him. But all things work together according to God's will. So the purpose in our liberty. First, we said it was to secure our salvation. In 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So the first purpose we saw was to secure our salvation. Secondly, was to enable us to obey. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, without, without the liberty that we've been given by Christ, we would not be able to um, obey God. We would not be able to walk in, in righteousness. We would not be able to live in holiness. We are enabled by the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus to obey. And then thirdly, we saw that the purpose was to bring glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Now that's something that all of us as God's children need to remember. That we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. Verse 20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I shared some thoughts with you. I said that we could glorify God first when we live by faith uh, and not by sight. Second, by keeping God first in our life, putting him above everything and everyone. Thirdly, by bearing, we bear much fruit. And fruit here we, we know are, are the, 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 the works in our life and the, and, and the way in which we conduct our life. So we live our life. Uh, to much glory to God, and then uh, by being a faithful servant, fourthly. Now tonight, I'd like to conclude by looking at number three, the perpetuity of our liberty. The perpetuity of our liberty. In John chapter 8 and verse 36, we read, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Uh, it is Jesus, the Son, that makes us free from sin. Not that we are free from its allurements or temptations, however, but rather that we are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the servitude of it. We are free from its power. We are free from its dominion over us. We are free from its guilt, free from the liability of punishment for it. So these are the things that that uh, our liberty does. It, it, it sets us free from all these different aspects of sin. And this is accomplished by the blood of Christ. We are given forgiveness through him. Uh, we are given imputed righteousness and holiness in him. Uh, he delivers us from the captivity of Satan, having been the ransom for us and satisfying the debt of our sin. We are, free, we are not free from temptations, however. But we are preserved from their power and from their ability to harm or control us. I've, I've used this illustration to, uh, to, to teach our younger students, our children, uh, trying to give them a picture of something that they can see. 
So what is this liberty like? Let's think for a moment of sin being a, a pit bull. Okay? Does anybody like pit bulls here before I... I, I don't, I, I'm, not worried about, I'm not worried about you, Corey. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but uh, I don't want to offend you either. But, you know, we've got a different type of relationship. So, anyway. But sin is like a pit bull. And, and I use a pit bull because I think of all the breeds of dogs, the pit bull is probably one of the scariest uh, for you to imagine yourself being put in a confrontation with. So this sin is like a pit bull. And it, it controls us. It dictates to, to the flesh of man uh, where you're going to sit, what you're going to do. It controls you, okay? It, it instills fear in you, and it, and it, and it causes you to, to take notice of it and, and, and to su- su- submit yourself to it. Well, then we get saved, and, and when we get saved, we become this new creation, this new creature. We have this, we have this new nature, and God himself will take that pit bull. He doesn't get rid of that pit bull. The pit bull's still there, Okay? But he will, he will take that pit bull and he'll put him on a nice, big, strong chain. And he will chain that pit bull to a tree. A nice, big oak tree that pit bull couldn't possibly pull down. And he will chain that pit bull to that tree. And now we are no longer under the control of the pit bull. All right? We no longer need to really be fearful of the pit bull because it's under control. And, and what God has done in the liberty that we have, he hasn't, he hasn't taken away temptation from us. He hasn't, he hasn't taken it away from us so that we never face it. But what he's done is he's limited its power over us. Sin no longer has authority over us. It no longer controls us. As long as, as, long as we stay outside of the range of the, that pit bull's chain, we don't have any reason to fear that pit bull. He can't, he can't intimidate us. He can't, he can't harm us. And, and, and this is where we are in our Christian liberties. God has, God has taken away the power and the control of sin over us. And, and so we need to understand that as believers, when we sin, it's not because we have to. It's because we choose to. It's because we succumb to our to the to the desires and the hungers of our flesh and our mind, and we allow ourselves to to sin. We we in in certain ways we justify our need for this sin, and we go out and we do this sin. But we don't have to, because we have liberty. We've been set free from this, uh, and 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 this liberty knows no end. It is eternal, and this is what I I mean when I talk about the perpetuity. Of our liberty, the liberty we have in Christ knows no end. As as so long as Christ remains our intercessory priest, our advocate, then we have this liberty. And we all know here that Christ will never lose his his priesthood. That Christ will never cease being our intercessor. We read from Hebrews chapter seven, verses twenty five through twenty eight. Wherefore he is able. Also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, but come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy. Not we're not holy. He he's holy. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher 
than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. So we see that that the, the, the liberty we have, the, the, the freedom we have in Christ is eternal, is perpetual. This is why Paul could so boldly state in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The liberty we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is perpetual. It will never diminish. It will never depart. It will never fail. Paul stated that because of the faithfulness of Christ to secure his salvation, as we stated in our second lesson, he was able to endure the trials of the Christian life with confidence and strength. Paul said, I can, I can do all that I do through, through Christ. Uh, and and I, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul states, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we, we see that, that simply because we face trials and tribulations does not mean that the, that the liberty of, of God or the grace of God has departed from us. It's perpetual. It, it will never leave. Now, given this, and given that our liberty will remain with us until the day of our redemption, let us go forth then with confidence and courage, knowing that we are secure in the liberty wherewith we have been made free. So tonight, I would like to share four thoughts with you concerning our liberty, thoughts that will serve to strengthen us as we face the trials of our Christian life. So first tonight... I want us to understand that liberty, about liberty is that it litigates our liability to the law. Our liberty litigates our liability to the law. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 7. Let's all turn to Romans chapter 7. And we'll read verses 4 through 6 together. These verses will not appear on the screen, so if you'd like to read them, you'll need to turn to Romans chapter 7, and we'll read verses 4 through 6. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh... The motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now are we delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. As natural men, as before we were saved, as unsaved men, we were subject to sin. We all understand that. Sin was our master. And we were its servants. We had no choice but to obey the power that it held over us. We may try and resist, we, and we may succeed at times. We may, we, may, we may 
declare that we will not give our authority, that we will not submit to the authority of sin, and we might succeed for a short period of time. But alas, men are under the bondage of sin. However, the liberty we have been given, which, by the way, we have been given this by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, this liberty has made us free from the law. Not free from the expectations or not free from the, should I say, not free from the intent of the law, but free from the letter of the law. He has made us free. It is this grace, this liberty, if you will, that litigates our case against the law. If you go to trial, what, what do you need? What do you need if you have to go to trial? A, a, a litigator. You need a lawyer. You need an attorney. You need someone that knows the law and understands the law to argue the law for you. I mean, I wouldn't want to be my own lawyer. You know, there's the old saying, uh, a man who has his self for an attorney has a fool for a client. And, and I certainly wouldn't want to, to try to uh, argue my own case in a court of law. Uh, but besides that, we have nothing to offer in our defense. What are we going to offer in our defense uh, before, the, before the judgment bar of Christ? But Christ, our Redeemer, he stands as our propitiation for sin. It is his death on Calvary that assumes my liability to the law. And we must remember that. Uh, I love the song, Saved by Grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When I stood condemned to death, he took my place. Now I grow and breathe in freedom, which each, with each breath of life I take. Loved and forgiven, back with the living, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. In the court of God's judgment, with the law as the prosecuting attorney, because of the liberty that I have in Christ Jesus, I am pronounced justified. By and through the blood of Christ, I have been liberated from the liability of sin. And if you're tonight, as you sit here, if you are a child of God, so have you. You're, you were as guilty as guilty can be. Yet Christ stood in your defense. He litigated your case and you are pronounced justified. Now, if you have any character at all, that alone should be reason enough for you to dedicate your all to Christ. Just, just the truth I've already spoken tonight. Not a one of us in this room should, should ever spend one moment of our life given to anything but our Savior Jesus Christ. We owe him everything. But there is more to consider than just this one thought. For not only does our liberty uh, litigate our liability to the law, but number two, I want, I want to say this, the liberty we have is greater than the grave. It is greater than the grave. Turn with me now, if you would. Let's, let's go back a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a few books to the front. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 55 through 57. 
Now, as I tell you often, I'm not, I'm not giving you anything tonight you didn't already know. You're not going to leave here and say, wow, Brother Abshar taught me some new things. Uh, I'm not going to. But what I'm trying to do is remind you of some things. Because one of our biggest problems as human beings is we are what? Anybody know? We're forgetful. Huh? And I'm worse than most people. I mean, I, I've got a terrible memory. I forget things all the time. I write notes to remind me what not to forget, and then I forget the notes. And so I, I have these huge piles of note on my dresser of things I was supposed to do that I forgot to do because I didn't bring the, the notes that remind me. You know, if I'm one of those kind of people, if I tie a string on my finger, finger to remind me of something, I won't even know why the string's there an hour later. Let's look together at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. We read here, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By our liberty, we have death over, we have victory over death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, we are always confident. Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Uh, death has no power over us. The grave cannot hold us. Uh, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have... We have victory over death. We have victory over the grave. The liberty that we have in Christ is greater than the grave. Now, living in fear of the grave will keep a person in bondage. It will cause us to place a higher value on this temporal life than on the celestial life. And it will smother out the liberty we have in Christ. For if we fail to live as citizens of heaven, we will live as prisoners on earth. Do you hear what I said? If we don't live as citizens of heaven, then we live as prisoners on this earth. In Philippians chapter 3, in verses 17 through 20, Paul writes, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, in a manner of speaking, Paul said, I'm already living in heaven. I have a home there. I have riches there. Uh, the Lord awaits me there. I'm a citizen of heaven tonight. I don't have to wait to get there. I am a citizen of heaven now. And therefore, I should live my life now as a citizen of heaven. Not as an, not as an inhabitant of the earth. Not as a, not as a prisoner on this earth. Uh, living in fear of, of the grave, I said, will keep us in bondage. Why would anyone who has been set free from bondage to this world of sin, why would they choose to be enslaved again? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. 
I, I, I've, I've been dumbfounded by that for many years. Why would anyone who has been given the great liberty in Christ by virtue of our salvation, why would anyone in that position choose to become enslaved to this world again? Um, I, I often wonder about that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, we were talking this morning in the forum class, and one of the reasons I believe um, that, that things are the way they are today I think, I think what, what has happened is instead of, instead of we as God's children anchoring our life in, in, in Christ, instead of us anchoring our life in Jesus, what we've done as mainstream Christianity is we've, we've chosen, we've accepted a reasonable, safe distance from the world. We, we've, we've come along and said, okay, there's the world. Here I am. That, no, no closer than that. No closer than that. You get any closer than this, and, you, and you're, you're just not going to be right. Huh? Meanwhile, God is way back over there. See? Now, over the centuries, as the world decays more and more and more, we're maintaining our distance, but... In keeping our safe distance, what have we done? Well, two things. Number one, we're, we're, we're moving further away from God. And number two, we're beginning to inhabit the, the lands that the world used to inhabit. Hmm? That's why things are the way they are in our country today. We've become, we've become desensitized to sin. And, and, and we've, we've allowed certain behaviors to, to become acceptable or to be tolerated. You know, where, you know where the best place to be is? All the way back over here. The best thing is let, let that go wherever it wants to go. It can go as far that way as it wants to go. I'm not moving away from, from God. I'm going to anchor, put my anchor here, and here's where I'm going to stay. So, if homosexuality was wrong in, in the book of Genesis, then it's still wrong today. It's not right. It's not okay. It's not right. If lying was wrong in the book of Genesis, if lying was wrong when Abraham lied, it's still wrong today. If murder was wrong when Cain committed it, it's still wrong today. And everything, listen, nothing, God hasn't amended his, his, his Ten Commandments. Huh? He hadn't done that because everything that he was that he's opposed to then he still is. So we must understand that. Stand fast, Paul said, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I could I could park right here and, and preach for hours. I'm not I'm not I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man either. I, I can remember television making its way into the houses of America. And I can remember how stern censorship was. And, and I can remember as a young boy uh, 
the things that, that we saw on television today, I mean, forget it. Why even bother censor anymore? Why even, why even bother bleeping out the words? Because the people they, they're supposedly trying to protect are, already know the words. That's why you have to bleep them. Listen, folks, we're, we're, we're not in a good shape in America, I'll tell you right now. But we don't need to live in fear either because we have the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shores. and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. And we have to be careful. So the liberty that we have... And it litigates our liability to the law. It, it's greater than the grave. But number three, <laughs> let me remind us tonight that it conquers our corruption. It conquers our corruption. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Let's jump ahead now a couple of books again. Back to Romans. Oh, actually, I'm going the wrong direction. No, no. Back toward the front. Romans chapter 8. And let's begin at verse number 20. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, this, of course, refers to the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope referred to in verse 20. We are enslaved in this body of corruption, awaiting the day that God shall change this corruptible into the incorruptible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 53, we read, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Yet while we are trapped in this corruption, that does not mean that we have to live a life of corruption. Uh, the liberty wherewith we have been made free works in this present time to give us the, the victory over sin each day. So we don't have to live in the, in the corruption that, that takes this body. We can, we, can, we can stand outside of that and live our lives in victory. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 6. <coughs> Romans chapter 6. And we'll begin reading at verse 14. Romans chapter 6, verse, beginning at verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. That would seem like kind of a silly question, right? But a lot of Christians live their life just that way. A lot of Christians sin and live in sin because they, 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 they know that they can go to God and ask for forgiveness and be forgiven and cleansed. So they think. But we must be careful about this philosophy because any man who can sin willingly, playing the game that I can just go to God and get forgiveness, no forgiveness will be given to him. Because he does not bear the spirit of Christ. He bears the spirit of the law. 
What is the law looking for? The law is looking for perfection, yes, but the law seeks what? Forgiveness, right? Huh? What was the whole purpose in the law? Forgiveness. I I make a sacrifice for forgiveness. I, I come and confess for forgiveness. But the great grace is not looking for forgiveness. What is grace looking for? Ah, maybe I will teach you something. Grace is looking for repentance. Is it not? Repentance is what grace seeks. The law seeks forgiveness. Grace seeks repentance. And a a repentant heart will not continue in sin. Because if you do, then you're not repentant. You're just remorseful maybe, but not repentant. So we, we must understand that. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? If you live in sin, then you're a sin servant. You ever stop to think about that? When we, when we, when we succumb to sin, when we give in to sin, what we're doing is, is we're, we're, we're giving sin the authority over us. But we're to live, we're, we're to live under, under obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. By the way, that's repentance. That's what he's talking about there. You've obeyed that form of doctrine. You've obeyed the, the command of the Lord to, to believe in Christ and repent. Verse 18, Being then made free from sin... You became the servants of righteousness. And by the way, we, we do obey under repentance, but not because of us, but because God himself gives us, enlightens us, and gives us the ability, the ability to obey. We would never obey God without, without him first making us obedient. So we see here uh, in Romans chapter 6 that, that, that we have this victory over sin. Now, all I can say now, is wow. Did, did you just understand what we read? Because let me tell you something. What I need to do right now is just shut up and let scripture speak. Because scripture can say it much greater than I can. First John chapter four and verse four. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's look at Romans chapter eight again. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. And we begin at verse number 31. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God... That justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All I can say is amen. I mean, Paul puts it all right there. Who, who is... Who is going to accuse you? If you're a child of God, if you're one of his elect and you, you live in the liberty of Christ, who, who's going to accuse you? Who, who's going to separate you from God's love? Who is going to come along and, 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 and who's going to take you away from God's protection and care? Who? No one. So who deserves all of your love? Who, de- who deserves all of our love? God. God deserves all of our love. He deserves everything that we are. And we must learn to live our life that way. The liberty we have litigates against the law. It is greater than the grave. It conquers our corruption. And then lastly tonight, number four, it obligates us to others. That's right. Our liberty obligates us to others. Let's, let's turn to one more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're right there in the neighborhood. We don't even need to get in our cars to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll begin reading at verse number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 16. Paul writes here, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For, ne- for out of necessity is, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For I, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And what Paul is saying here is that the liberty, that the freedom that he has in Christ Jesus necessitates that he preach the gospel to all men. Why? Because it obligates him to do so. Though I be free from all men, he said, I make myself servant unto all. Paul didn't have to spend his life preaching to others. He didn't owe any man anything or did he well in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8 Paul says this owe no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law in fact he stated in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16 just a moment ago we wrote we read this woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel in fact Paul did owe He owed his life to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He owed his life to Christ, and Christ commanded him. And Christ commanded all of us 
to love, to serve, and to forgive one another. In John chapter 15 and verse 12, we read, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, we read, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we read, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did you see that? He gave us those three verses. That we're to love one another, that we are to by love serve one another, and that we are to forgive one another. Again, what more needs to be said? If the Holy Spirit, through God's word, hasn't spoken to our hearts tonight, then nothing I say will be of any use to anyone. Mainstream Christianity today thinks that because they have liberty... Because they have been made free, they are free to do whatever they want to do. But the truth is, our liberty has set us free. But it has set us free so that we can choose to live our life in servitude to God. That's why we've been made free. We've been made free so that we can choose to serve God the Father. Not the flesh. Not the world, not the devil, but the Lord. I think Paul stated it best. uh, Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I lied to you. A little while ago I said this is the last verse. This is the last verse. Let's turn to Philippians together. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 12. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Colossians. Let me get to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart 
and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Who do you choose to live for tonight? I mean, think about that just for a moment. We'll be closed in just a few moments. Of course, last time I said that took 15 minutes. Who do you choose to live for tonight? Do you choose to live for Christ and therefore you, you walk a, a, a circumspect life? You walk disciplined. You, you're careful who you associate with. You're careful where you go. You're careful what you do, what you listen to, what you allow to enter into your mind and heart. Do you choose tonight? Do you choose to live in the spirit of Christ and therefore glorify God in your bodies? Do you choose to allow your, through your life, do you choose to allow Christ to live in you? Or do you live to your flesh? Do you choose tonight to, to be a friend of this world, to, 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 to be at enmity with God in these things? You have to choose. We each have to choose. So let us close and leave here tonight with a renewed dedication to live our lives according to God's purpose for us. Not to use our liberty as an occasion to sin, but rather to show forth the grace and mercy of God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight. And Lord, (laughs) we love your word. We love the truth of your word. And Father, I, I, I hope and pray that you would instruct us from your word and teach us. Teach us, Lord, how to use this liberty that you've given us. Teach us how to use the freedoms that we have in Christ. Lord, not that we might find pleasure in our, in our own life, not that we might do our own thing, but Lord, that we might use the liberty that you've given us to, to serve others, to, to love others, to forgive others. You would, that you would help us to use the liberty you've given us as empowerment to overcome sin and overcome wrong in our lives and, and to, to purge our lives of these things that we might glorify you. I pray you bless everyone here tonight. Bless the children in the Pioneer Club classes and help them to, to know you and to live for you. Thank you for all these things now. We ask you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org